When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, joined as always by Ann Thompson. We've got lots to talk about, lots going on in the world. But first off, things are opening up, I have to say, here in the U.S., here in New York at least. I'm feeling pretty good about doing things, sometimes maskless, sometimes with my mask on, but still in sort of crowded areas. I'm going to a dinner tonight for the rendezvous with French cinema, which I'm very excited to be able to do here here in the city. And um, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, you'll see a different background because I'm actually in the office, which is, uh, you know, nice to the have. PMC has has invited uh, the staff to come back, uh, encouraging uh, Tuesday, Thursday, twice a week uh, attendance, if not more, if not less. But it's up to you. What What are you doing? Well, what I'm doing is being grateful for the fact that I live like between 10 and 15 minutes away in in Queens. So I can be a bit flexible and I've always been that way. But, you know, here's the thing I keep reminding people is that you and I have been in the trenches with this site through a lot of different changes. I remember when I first started contributing, it was like two people, no office, you know, everything was scrappy. We've been through so many different iterations since then when the pandemic hit. It was not a radical shift to the way we work to be able to work remotely. So I don't take anything for granted, but it's nice to see people. It's nice to be at the center of a place where you see the machinery whirring and the different media brands back to work. So, you know, knock on wood, a week away from South by Southwest. But this is all, you know, a positive direction for us just in terms of what's going on here. So the Hollywood Reporter is in there. Also, we got THR, we've got Variety, we've got Art News. Deadline. It's a very, uh, it's a very nice family. Deadlines here. Everybody's around. Well, I wouldn't say everybody's around, but you know, every, nobody's ever always in one place at one time. That's the other thing to keep in mind. But I do think that office culture is something that people should be flexible about. I've always had a flexible relationship. I know you have because oh, you're yeah, at home sure. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't but, gone. Uh, I went back for a while when we were doing video interviews in the office. And so I set my office up and my computer and unpacked the boxes and everything. And and so I'm all ready to go. But right now I'm just too, I'm too busy to go to the office. I'm really insanely. It's this is my you season. are out in the world. You are. I mean, you are benefiting from from that sort of change in a way. And, and um, so is award season. So yeah, we should so, talk about so that. This week, so SAG Awards were were live and in person. I didn't go. Some people did go um, from the press uh, more than usual uh, because it was really the first big live uh, awards event um, lacking the Golden Globes, which usually uh, come first. And it was, I watched it on TV like I always do. And mm-hmm. uh, it was very entertaining and very um, illuminating. However, and really fun to see everybody together, see the live uh speeches, um, um, you know, see Lin-Manuel Miranda and his Hamilton Buds, you know, uh, introing and outroing the whole thing, uh, and see people like uh, Scott Feinberg, our THR colleague, you know, posting pictures from, from yeah, the right. event and so on, um, Al Buchanan. But I, um, 
I caution everyone not to make too much of it because uh, just in terms of being an Oscar prognosticator, um, you learn that things are getting winning momentum. Jessica Chastain is definitely getting winning momentum. Um, and it's an interesting field, uh, the best actress race, for example, if you have um, three uh, women who've already won, and then you have uh, Kristen Stewart, who's presumably considered something of uh, a, a first-time nominee um, for, for Spencer. Well, she is and, a first-time nominee. Yeah, and then you, in other words, she's, she should be grateful on some level. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel that way. I think she totally belongs there and could be a contender. Oh but gosh. the Overdue. idea is that Jessica Chastain has been around, has been nominated before, and has never won. She's the one who might have a narrative that would support and also that she produced the eyes of Tammy Faye that now people are going to look at it and see what she did uh, if they haven't already and and there is you know something to be said for for momentum there um, and I you know I've been polling uh, some Academy members and uh, in fact some of them are voting for her so that's and the a thing is it's a it's one of those possibilities that hasn't been debated nearly as much as say Kristen Stewart because Kristen Stewart that was a very prominent aspect of the award season narrative very early on whereas tammy faye once people saw the movie and it got kind of a lukewarm reaction i from think that critics um, from yeah critics. but i mean you, and you too i mean let's be honest a, I, mean, I loved i loved her performance and yeah, the I, performance is we fun. interviewed it's her for the awards series yes. out of toronto because yes. we understood that makeup and hair and best actress were in the offing i don't think you yeah, did 100 i don't think you thought well, no, that was gonna happen i i no, what i thought was that you were really the, the, down on this movie <laughs> well because i think the movie is is really below the performance and i and in a year with so many strong performances it you, of course you have blinders on to some degree when it comes to something like this because on, on some level it's picture. hard to conceive of that but it's not i mean do do Spencer a lot of it is a critic's picture so there's yeah. a difference between yeah you know, something that, that gets but, good reviews and something that gets weak reviews. but this isn't just critics right i mean like the academy people who are telling you they're voting for her are they also big fans of the movie or are they just big fans of her you know the, the question is whether some you know this eric the, the narrative behind why somebody wins in a given year has to do with their past history. It has to do with what whether they have earned it. In, and, and if, if or if they just knock it out of the park to such a degree that no one can deny it, that would be someone like Renee Zellweger and Judy. Judy was also well, not greatly reviewed. A lot of people argue, would argue that even, people even voted for Zellweger who didn't even see the movie. Because they we don't know her. that. So, we Honestly, don't know that, but I mean, I've, I've heard that, that said. But, so. but she was a popular, she's always been a popular figure. And Jessica Chastain is popular as well. And Sandra also Bullock very would, is another one that on comes social up social media and in terms of getting herself out there and making sure that people know that she's around. I don't know. Um, I'm not saying that just because she won SAG that she's going to win, but I am saying she has the wind in her sails now. And we're going to see, uh, you know, this is a case where none of those actresses are in a best picture nominee. So it, it, it does, there is no narrative yeah. that attaches itself yeah, yeah. to somebody's coattails. It's fascinating in, in that, in that sense. I mean, look, I am a fan of Jessica Chastain. I thought she was robbed on zero dark 30, more power True. to her for all the stuff she's doing. And I do, I, I will recognize that she is amazing in this movie and almost unrecognizable in, in a certain way. But the movie is just not, I, I, I feel that performance and filmmaking are often operating in sync 
you know, and that when you look at something like Spencer or Parallel Mothers, that the filmmaking and the acting are part of part. There's a unity there. And that's part of it, too. That should be part of it. And, and I do think that that's worth looking at, you know, on some level that it's a, a, a really good performance in a not great movie doesn't necessarily mean that it, it's a good performance because it the helps movie to have a movie that people like one of the people I interviewed uh, recently um, in my polling process, uh, you know, really admitted that that they they often don't vote for movies they don't like, even in categories where they might be deserving. That, that, like that Dune, for example, them. might be another. Like if they're going you know, through yeah. the crafts and stuff. It's an right. interesting question. Um, it's an interesting sometimes, question. Sometimes, you know, someone, I mean, David Ehrlich, uh, fascinatingly, our critic, um, has been looking at Dune and The Power mm -hmm. of the Dog and yeah. assessing well, whether they one. deserve to yeah. win or not. He's not predicting. He's not predicting what's going to no, win. That's not his route, job. A different metric. Yes. In, in, in but it's here. fascinating to see him. He hated Dune. <laughs> he loathed right. Dune. And now he has sort of grudging respect for some of the things that it should win in certain categories. He's willing to see that if if he has to. Well, if you scrutinize the achievements on different levels, I suppose that's a, just a different way of looking at cinema. But I also think from a performative standpoint, again, there's such a close relationship to other aspects of what's going on here that to me, it's like if the movie's really good, the performances also should also be on that level. I don't know. It's hard for me to separate them. It's, it's basically what I'm saying. As I said, but it has a lot to do with it, it, optics. And when stuff, we talk man. about narrative, narrative is often shaped by the publicists, right? There are campaigners. Yeah, if you see Will Smith <laughs> giving a speech, you can tell you can tell when someone oh, like Olivia Coleman just goes off down. the cuff. You know, she knows she she doesn't give a shit. She's just gonna go with her heart. Someone like Judy Dench, they just say what they want to say. Someone like Will Smith gets up and gives his appointed speech and they played it so beautifully. They had it all figured out. They had Venus there. They had um, one of the other sisters. They they cut to them. You know, he was playing the room. He, I mean, this is a guy who's been playing the room in the public eye for 30 years, too. I mean, that's he's got a brand. He's got a persona that has been cultivated in that. He knows that you and I and everybody else have a working idea of who Will Smith is and plays that person. It's not to say he's fake. It's just that he's he knows how to that's do that. That's what's so great about his yeah. performance, though, is that he you lose Will Smith in the That's performance yep. in King Richard. It's not distracting. And you believe he's that he's it. playing Richard Williams and he he really gets Richard Williams in a way that's so authentic. And I keep you and I agree on this. I know that the, the producers, the writer, the director, all the casting, all the ways that they relied on the family. You know, one of the things that's going on at this time of year is that a movie like King Richard, which was released a long time ago and had its moment in the sun in the fall festival uh, arena, is now much more uh, coming back into everybody. This is what all these campaigners are trying to do. They're trying to get these movies back into the public eye so that we're paying attention to them again. And King Richard is a very strong contender. It's possible it will only win Best Actor. It's most likely to do that. But the best picture race is wide open. And while I grant that CODA, the SAG winner, is possibly uh, getting more attention and, and could be a spotlight, there are precedents for a small movie that doesn't have that many nominations going forward. I don't think it's uh, in the bag at all. Okay, I think so it's let, still let's a talk race. a bit about that, because when CODA won at SAG, 
there were some people looking at that and saying, well, if enough people don't like the power of the dog or Coda is a very popular number two choice on a lot of ballots and it's a preferential ballot. Does this movie that premiered back at Sundance that has not been seen as, as really a best picture movie as a front runner suddenly end up being this surprise thing? So when you say you don't think there's enough there, are you? how does preferential ballot I figure in? I adore Coda. I, I do. I think there are three movies that have the kind of emotional crowd-pleasing um, uh, attributes that Coda has. Coda, Belfast, and King Richard. Now, Belfast and King Richard have... Um, Belfast has director, screenplay, uh, you know, it, it is it, it picture, you know, other categories. Um, King Richard does not have director. It does have screenplay. Uh, Coda has does not have director, does have screenplay. So there are, um, it's a small movie. The, the, the Academy tends to look at scale. It, Spotlight did happen. There were reasons why it did. Which movie among all of them ticks the most boxes in terms of what the Academy wants to present to the world as its best picture winner? And I have this hunch, and that's what it is, that King Richard ticks more of the boxes. Coda also has this extraordinary history-making deaf community in you know, just thrilled and celebrating. Uh, so what you're saying is that King Richard is is a number two choice or or the potential spoiler or it's, the front runner. Uh, spoiler. Uh, uh, Power of the Dog is still the front runner. And still one of the reasons runner. that okay. I, I know that Power of the Dog is divisive, but it has the crafts. It has the crafts. And even the the Twitter stupid thing that the Academy's doing with the popular film. Oh, God. Thing, Do we the, have to talk about that? Polling and everything. Yeah. Minamata. <laughs> Minamata. Johnny Depp movie from Berlin Johnny that Depp I saw in 2020. <laughs> My God. It's sort of working if the Academy's trying to get people to pay attention to this. But it, it, Power of the Dog is on there along with Dune. Right. Right. Well, because a lot of people saw it on Netflix. That's right. I mean, I thought it was interesting that Power of the Dog was, but not Don't Look Up. I know. Which is actually which more actually was more. Uh, you have to assume that then that then I don't know. I I would like to know who's playing the game. In other words, sure. you, you know all the studios and all the people are everybody's people. they're they're bots in there somewhere. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My God, Oscar bots. That's what twenty twenty two is all about. That's the world that we're in. No, that 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 is fascinating. But but to getting back to the point you're making here is more like if there were a popular kind of number two choice. That could King rise Richard, up. My, I have King long Richard believed, have based on a lot of the people I've been talking to and how it played in a theater, which I did see at, at Telluride, I just have long believed that that was the one that people, everybody seems to like. But then you also have another area where Coda is strong that it wasn't before, which is Troy Kotzer. That He's he gonna, was not. Yeah. He seems like he's the front runner there for supporting actor. Now he is. Yes. So that's a big deal. All what they can do. We talked about this before. What they can do, give King Richard best actor, give um, Coda best supporting actor. And there is a scenario which is um, horrifying for Netflix to contemplate where the power of the dog loses a lot of its 12 nominations to Dune on the craft front, to um, Coda for supporting actor, to Will Smith for Best Actor. Um, I am wondering if Dunst, there's no evidence for this, this is a hunch on my part, that Dunst isn't the more highbrow choice 
for uh, Best Supporting Actor. Everyone, actress, everyone is assuming it's Ariana DeBose who won at SAG. I don't know why, but I am picking up so much negative. Uh, you wrote a beautiful uh, assessment of Steven Spielberg, and I understand um, that there are many people who like him and, and root for him. But West Side Story, I have to say, I keep hearing a lot of negatives from people inside yeah. the Academy. I mean, the piece I wrote was more about how West Side Story stands out from other uh, nominees that Spielberg has, has has had and the kind of obvious way in which his filmmaking shifted towards seriousness in a way that allowed him to get better at the awards game and eventually win, you know, three Oscars and uh, two director Oscars and producing Oscar. But in terms of, you know, will the movie actually succeed in this particular year with these other films? I wouldn't be surprised if it shut out. I mean, that's certainly something that could happen. It's interesting, though, that you say what what is the more highbrow choice in supporting actress? Because we just uh, we talked about best actress where it's not necessarily the highbrow choice that's the that's true. That's so, about, you know what that is? Here's the thing. The acting branch is the biggest branch. If I were if I were to bet, you know, where the actors would go, mm -hmm. I'm going to say they would go for for Tammy Faye, as suggested by SAG. But the mm -hmm. rest of the Academy has to vote in that category. And many mm -hmm. of them may not see Tammy Faye, may not care about right. it. It may be like the Glenn Close year where nobody watched <laughs> the movie she was nominated category. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's a real open question. And then supporting actress, the DeBose love is strong. But she's I think the Kristen, best thing in the movie. She is, but it, and, and she's historic, it, as we've discussed. Yeah, that's valuable. Yeah, I mean, in, in this particular Gay, context, it's a hugely valuable Afro Latina, yeah, Afro Latina actress. Never happened before. A lot of good stuff going on there in terms of her odds. So and we'll, she's we'll incredible in the movie. I think she's still the front runner. I I just sometimes the Academy, you know. Like if you're filling out your ballot, ballot and you realize that you haven't given Power of the Dog anything <laughs> except director, maybe you, oh, all right, I'm going to go with Dunst because she's maybe. never won before. She, she, she's, she's really, I think she's, she, she's never even been nominated before, which is astonishing. Yeah, and I'm sure she wants it bad, but you know, Netflix wants that Best Picture bad too. And if they get it, it will be the end of a very long uh effort on their, on that their part question so, you know. it would apple get there first you know that's know. an interesting that question sting. that would write headlines even in places that don't normally pay attention to this very insular conversation so <laughs> we'll see what happens on that front but we should also talk about i mean i don't want to give too much oxygen to this it's not negative campaigning per se but inevitably something happens in the public sphere or somebody says something about a movie and it gets a lot of attention and we have to think about, you know, whether or not this has an impact on a campaign or not. In this case, we have Sam Elliott on the uh, Mark Marin podcast saying all this. Did you actually listen to the whole thing in context? Stuff. No. And and I sometimes listen to Marin. I haven't had a chance to listen to this first. I, I will say that I, I reached out to, to him to ask him if he would talk about it and I haven't heard back yet uh, because, I, because I know him a little bit. But, you know, those he pushed podcasts. Back. He pushed back a bit. He did, but you could tell he was very uncomfortable. I mean, he liked the movie, right? He didn't expect Sam Elliott. That, that's what was so so shocking about it. We don't need to reiterate all the stuff he said, but, you know. Well, to, we to do. Kind of we this, need to say that he was homophobic he was and very represents homophobic, a certain generation very that voted sexist. for yeah. Crash instead of Brokeback Mountain. And that group of people in the Academy, not as big as it used to be, older white men is still a factor 
even right. in assessing power of the dog he didn't even realize that the the home of the, the homosexual content in the film was was a was what the film was about yeah although i have to say i mean that's I'm what Marin pointed said, yes, out we do need to, to talk about this but some people were saying you know he he was confused to me it's not really confusion it's just homophobia it really is more than that. It's it's he can't he can't see the movie because of his homophobia. He backed up and said, "Oh, I do admire Jane Campion." And yeah, so whatever. On. But it was so clear that he was an expert on westerns, that he knew westerns. He was the guy who had the authority in this particular area, and and that you couldn't go to New Zealand and you couldn't be a woman and direct <laughs> and be uh, from New Zealand and direct a British guy in chaps uh, and have it be believable. Of course, the movie is based on the book. You, you have to assume that some some as like you say, I mean, this is the older white male contingency that's often silent on these issues. But Marin's podcast, you know, is this like long form casual thing where you just kind of talk and talk and talk. And then, oops, I became too much of myself in a public way. And, and that's definitely what what happened. You can here. see I mean, how it happened. You, it's and almost like, you know, you could imagine this is what John Wayne would be like talking about this movie there's I mean, this that hilarious the element of it <laughs> there's this hilarious photo of john wayne that that is that that, that some people put on twitter where he's in a bathing suit <laughs> really sh letting it all hang out in a, in a really cool sort of sexy way with his legs and he's wearing okay. little espadrilles and he has a hat on and he has a man bag seriously mm -hmm. a man bag he looks as gay as anyone could look in a million years Mm -hmm. And and it it was you know Bronco Bronco Henry uh, you know a lot of people think Sam Henry's <laughs> listen Sam to me Elliot. Sam Elliott Would is Bronco Henry right, right. You know? well that's the thing that's the brilliance of it you, we have this idea in our popular imagination of that cowboy type so you can fill it in the movie allows you to fill it in without showing you a photo of him I mean that's kind of what's brilliant and, and the way it's allowing it to play out so and can't by the be way, Red River Howard Hawks you know there's so oh, many home, westerns have, have a, a subtext yeah. going on there yeah yeah, yeah of a course. lot of bromances out there on the west oh yeah and I, and I don't know who's talked to Sam Elliott about all this stuff I mean it, I doubt he's going to come out there and apologize but it's also on the other side of it you know Campion's not coming out there and saying anything against it it's so presumably everyone's hoping this news cycle moves on very quickly no I would argue with you here I would suggest that this uh, has rallied uh, support for the movie and it is it isn't bad well, for that the movie could, at all okay. that could be good and, too. It, and it kind of I, I would suggest it would call a lot of academy voters um maybe if they're paying attention that's the other thing you know people think that everyone's paying attention to film twitter that a lot of these people who who uh, you know tweet every day about the ins and outs of the oscar race believe that the academy voters are paying attention to them they're not the, the no but the, other people it's not that it's it has zero impact. It can have because because you and I sometimes see stuff and talk about it, or other media people. coverage and it if it down. gets broadly reported is right. it, you know is is a good thing. This Sam Elliott story definitely got picked up by by yeah. other media. Yep. But I would All say people who actually tune into the Academy voters who actually tune into the film Twitter conversation, I could it's name them for amount. you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's a small list. Yeah, they follow us and we interact with them. Guillermo regularly. del Toro pays attention yeah. to film hey. Twitter. <laughs> we should talk about him. Guillermo came out and, and said at a podium that the Oscars should air those categories. Yes, he did. That was interesting. It is to a degree, even though they've gotten incredible pushback and, and the... Um, 
you know, the people in the crafts are feeling that were the eight categories that were left out are feeling very, very diminished and dissed. We have to mm-hmm. see how it plays out. We still do have to see how it plays out. And some people are just beginning to, to recognize that they all these categories are going to be on the Oscars. Ex- these people will be accepting their awards. A lot of people really didn't get that, which is the fault of the Academy for not messaging better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see how it plays out. It certainly is, um, is we're not getting the impression that like the last time this happens, uh, they felt too much uh, sort of conflicted and decided to go back on uh, the decision and air all those things live. It, it doesn't seem like They're we're heading in that to. direction. Yeah, no. so, so- They don't so really have any point, choice. ABC is really firing all cylinders of guns right, at them. And they're, they're, they're driving things. So, so the thing happens, people will be mad, and then what? Does the show work? Is it they better? Have to pull it off. We have to see it? how it looks. Yeah. yeah, that's the real question. I mean, you'll be going to the Spirit Awards this weekend, and like I mentioned before, I mean, they don't always air all the awards live. No, I mean, a lot nobody of these talks people don't. The Grammys way. don't. Yeah. The the yeah. you know, there's the Emmys have multiple nights. You know, I mean, it's it's a this is not you know the BAFTAs don't even show live. They edit the whole right. thing into a tight cast, and you have to wait to see it. Right. Well, it's hard to. I'm not advocating for live that. Fa- yeah, the live element is what's what sells it. Period. At this point, I mean, I agree. Say what you want about the whole Moonlight La La Land thing. That was great live TV. You know, I mean, the no the, question the drama of it all. I so. would love. I I don't know how this is going to play out, but the 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 analog broadcast ABC universe may not be the right model. And we, mm, I'm streaming. sure the ratings will be way up. I'm sure they're getting the presenters. They're starting to announce that Lady Gaga is going to present, which I found uh, a little interesting. Chris Rock, who's always fun. You know, yeah. we're going to get some good people. Yeah, and hopefully that kind of stuff is impactful and memeable and translates into other kinds of media. So the footprint of this thing is wider, too. That's kind of what what it needs to be. It needs to be sticky and and visible in a lot of ways. So people are chirping about it and all their various platforms and so forth. But But we also feel like people are going back to the box office. Now, where they're not going to go back to the box office with our movies is Russia. Yeah, which which canceled uh, a bunch of stuff. Warner Brothers pulled out. Uh, the Batman, Disney, Disney did out. it first. They right, they Disney got it going. First with but, Turning Red and, and its other titles. And then, but what happened there is that all the studios were talking about it. They were all going to do it. They were having meetings. It wasn't it no wasn't like they there. just followed Disney's lead. But Disney did go out first, and followed by a, Warner's. It's a here's one thing I'm sort of fascinated by is you know there are all kinds of different parts of the world that are committing heinous acts, including. China, which commits human rights abuses. But in this particular case, it was a very time sensitive kind of thing going. This war just broke out and, the and people acted swiftly. Yeah. So it, it required it wasn't like something that people could debate for some long period of time. It was like, do, we need to make a decision now because this thing is happening every day is a little bit more dangerous than the previous. Even one. Facebook, even the big Silicon Valley companies are responding, YouTube, Google, yep. which is shocking in a way because yep. they've resisted this kind of response for so long. So it's easy to look and I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing anyone, but it is easy to look at this at, if you're somebody who has never been to Russia before and say, I, you know, uh, well, that's just another part of the world and they operate in this particular kind of way. So, of course, we should just make take this action and not really understand, you know, how things work over there. But you've been there. So why don't you tell us about when you went to Russia? So back in 2012, 
Um, when I was actually r working on that book I wrote called um, The $11 Billion Year uh, back in, <laughs> in the day, um, I ended up um, going on a junket to Moscow. It was for independent distributors, and I was the only journalist on this, on this thing. And it was sponsored by the Russian film, uh, what is it, Roskina? I, I forgot what it's called. Roskino, yep. yeah. Um, and they, and we were in, a, you know, incredible hotels and, and, you know, we went to St. Petersburg and it was just an extraordinary trip. But when I was on the ground in Moscow, you know, you learn things and you talk to people. And what I learned was that when, um, even then, when Vladimir Putin uh, went to work every day, the entire avenue that led um, to the um, Duma would would close down. They would close down every single street, and his bulletproof uh, Putin car, limo, uh, would zoom down this road at like 100 miles an hour to get him to work safely. Mm -hmm. That this was a thing, and paranoia was so great, and the fear of violence was so great, that every house was you know had security every place you went there were security guards paid for and on duty um and the people who worked um in the film universe uh were very aware that putin was involved with that group uh with um uh, Mikhailkov, who who basically is the the guy who's in charge of of all the film people in Russia, um, and and you know you had to play by the you know rules, uh, and we knew that in the film world, but I didn't understand until I was there just how paranoid you could be in a room, thinking that someone was overhearing what you were saying and thinking mm -hmm. that you could get in trouble for it, and yeah. and being in a hotel room and watching the the um, the kind of uh, alternate news, um, you know, yeah, you have to, you know, in, in, in China, where I visited right after that, you really got a sense of, of, of a strange alternate 50s universe that was being presented on television, yeah. because they were aiming at the rural Chinese, they were aiming at, at right. misinformation for everyone. Right. Um, and they would argue that that's what allows them to run society as efficiently, quote unquote, That's efficiently right. as they do. I mean, they this think is, of their the people in 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 China and in Russia as sort of uh, almost like illiterate children in a way. But the Russian people are standing up, and the even as the independent media are being uh, eliminated and having to leave Russia, um, sort of horrifying. There was a story on the BBC about how uh, the Russian media are actually telling the people in Russia that Ukraine is attacking them. Of course they are. Of course they are because it, it, it creates a delusion that justifies the act on this scale. There is no other way. And, and someone I was talking to on the phone today was, was asking me, why is it that everyone seems so much more aware and so much more responsive to this scenario when we've had many other terrible situations around the world, wars, human rights abuses. Part of it is that it's so obviously unjust on some level that unless you've been sort of having propaganda wired into your brain for so long, it's impossible to see any logic to it. It's just so shocking to see that, you know, probably a lot of the people in those tanks heading into Kiev right now uh, think that they're liberators because of the kind of propaganda that they've been fed. And there are people who are waking up to that now and some people who maybe think what they're doing is wrong, but also feel like they have no other option. 
So it's it's just harrowing to to see something like that happen. It's awful. Um, but and I also, I mean, I'm, I, you mentioned the the protests. I, I find that to be a something that's really remarkable is people choosing to protest knowing that they can be imprisoned. That I mean, there's it's just not n- nowhere near anything that most of us uh, are are exposed to on a regular basis in terms of danger when you choose to take a stand on something. So um, you know, my hats off to those folks in that respect. Uh, and then. I suppose on the lighter side of things, we can talk about the Batman because even if it's not coming to Russia and certainly is coming to the United States. So uh, I sat through it. You sat through it. Uh, our Russians make it really sound like a out. chore. <laughs> it was three hours. I thought it could have been two, but I, I enjoyed uh, bits and pieces of it. I still think Matt Reeves has a brilliant kind of visual sense he does and he's a really good director and Pattinson's decent he's just behind a mask a lot of times I and adored I like Pattinson I thought he I thought he and Zoe Kravitz were very sexy and uh carried the movie I think they saved the movie in fact well the movie is not groundbreaking from a Batman aesthetic standpoint you know that's what's sort of interesting to me in a way it's like Okay, it's one of the it's another one of those shadowy noirs. It, it definitely leans more into the kind of detective work side of it than we've seen. And, and there is a Zodiac element in play, but it, it still feels like it's very much in the shadow of what Nolan was doing in terms of tonally. It's a it's a hopeless movie in, in certain ways. So you and and, um, and David and Kate did did a, um, a face off on who was the best Batman. Who, who did you vote for, Eric? <laughs> I voted for uh, Kevin Conroy, who voices Batman on the animated series, uh, which also uh, gave rise to what I think is the best Batman movie, Mask of the Phantasm, the animated one. Which is a is very good and people should watch. If they I've never it. seen these. Yeah, it's 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 got a cult thing going on now. This I mean I'm sure it was widely viewed on TV and stuff. I believe it got a theatrical release and, and when it came out. Um, but that's it, it's what my my feeling about it is what I was telling you, which is that there is every Batman performance has been working from an existing idea of Batman and in service to the movie around it in a way. And unless you take off the mask and really get let us get to know the guy be, behind that then you're just getting another Batman performance. And in the doc Val, where Val Kilmer talks about it, I thought it was very revealing the way he talked about how he had all these ambitions as an actor that were shut down by a performance that didn't call for them. So it's very hard for me to answer that question. I actually think that Pattinson, um, interestingly, uh, when he's playing Bruce Wayne, except for maybe one scene where he does get dressed up to go out in, in public, he's very um, uh, basically uh, dressed. You know, he's not, he's, he's a tortured, uh, r- the most tortured, the most unhappy uh, of, all the, of, of all the Bruce Wayne Batmans. And, and um, I, I thought they gave him plenty to do. I, I actually enjoyed, enjoyed that performance. When he takes the mask off, I appreciate it because... I mean, David described it in his reviews, 90% clenching. But the thing is, like in all, a lot of his roles, he does this sort of thing where he's he's brooding in a way that almost is like serial comic. You know, it's like, and, and this movie plays off of that in a way. It's got the Nirvana music. It's very grungy, but I, we didn't get a lot of him. He's wearing like black that. t-shirts is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, and then very, he also, emo. and he's not, he, he, he makes fun of this in his interviews, but the guy has low self-esteem. <laughs> he's, he's really not, you know, together enough to, he's to think the, about the, having a romantic relationship yeah, with anyone. Not, well, that's, that's attracted as he thing. may be. 
right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not the billionaire playboy who's usually Bruce no, Wayne. No, that whole aspect of it is gone. And yeah. and I thought that um, Andy Serkis was actually a very good Alfred, and Paul Dano, you know, however many takes it took, uh, was 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 pretty damn good um, as the Riddler. But uh, I really felt that poor Jeffrey Wright um, as Gordon and uh, and the latex uh, Colin Farrell as the Penguin well, were quite wasted. Totally well, the, the Farrell thing. I mean, first of all, he looks like Robert De Niro, like an over, like a. a, a I didn't very see that. De Niro. I mean, if you look at his face again, you look at the image. I found that it was like I didn't see. I couldn't see him. He I couldn't buried. see Colin Farrell. Yeah. And I think if you have a movie star as great as he is, you you need to be able to recognize him. Otherwise, it won't work. Yeah, it was a strange kind of gamble, big mistake. I but, think. You know, he's out there promoting after Yang when people are asking him to promote the Batman. So I assume that. He's got his own priorities and like Pattinson is looking at this kind of opportunity as a way to justify whatever other kinds of more challenging work. So there is that. But we'll see how the movie does commercially. I'm curious about the longevity of the Batman concept and how just how commercial just a Batman movie is, you know, they're just spinning things off in a cynical kind of way. The Penguin, who is maybe the least successful aspect of this, they're spinning off uh, for HBO Max. And then, you know, obviously Catwoman. Uh, Zoe Kravitz, I have to say, has emerged as a major movie star. I I knew she was good, but now I see she's a movie star. Certainly to have this two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was after Kimmy, which you know, the movie is she all right. Fantastic she's, in that. she's really good in that. And she's directing a movie, Pussy Island, which uh, her partner Channing Tatum is producing. So I feel like we're getting some sort of crap. She and Channing on. Tatum are both having a moment because Dog yeah. is really successful it's doing as well. pretty well. Yeah, yeah, you should go check it out. I, I so that weekend, to... you know, I just felt like, OK, the box office is back and yeah. uh, all the distributors are sort of excited now because yeah. it looks like we can be emerging. I'll be heading to Santa Barbara this weekend. You'll be heading to South by Southwest next week yes it's gonna back be fun. in the festival world can't wait so i'll talk to you then and we'll have a lot of other movie stuff to, to discuss i'm sure uh but i uh, hope you have a good drive out there and thank you you too